This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located just minutes from Rogers Arena at the corner of Georgia and Beatty. Come eat, drink, and talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. And we're probably going to be talking a little bit about the deadline in this this second hour here. You're in the second hour of the show. Uh, But we also want to get your thoughts on it. We want your thoughts on what the Canucks are going to do, what you want them to do, what you expect them to do. So reach out by phone at 604-280-1040, or you can reach out by email at email us at live, tsn1040.ca. You can also text us at 104040, and we actually have a TSN 1040 poll question that's up right now. The question is, will Ben Hutton be traded? A simple yes or no. I think tomorrow marks, what, 12 healthy scratches in the last 26 games. He's playing, I think, 13 minutes on average in the last handful of games that he did play for the Vancouver Canucks. So things aren't trending in the right direction for Ben Hutton. Talked about it a bit earlier in the show. How do you see this all shaking out, Izzy? Because I'm 50-50. I I really think that it's possible we could see Ben Hutton traded. It feels like it's headed that way. And what a strange season for Hutton because starting out, I mean, you look at the decor and... Chris Tanev is going to play a lot when healthy. Alex Adler is going to play a lot when healthy. And to start the season, Ben Hutton was playing quite a bit. And it was, uh, I guess, throughout the, the first couple of months, even when the team was playing well, uh, he started to lose the trust of, of Travis Green. And now there's, they're in a spot where they signed him to that contract. He's making two-plus million dollars, and, and he's a healthy scratch. And that's, that's not a good look for a guy that a couple of years ago you thought was going to be a significant part of this, of this team going forward. That's right, and Ben Hutton in the first year of a two-year extension, $2.8 million a year annually. Corey, I see you hanging out on line one there. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Nation Network Radio. Hey, thanks for taking the call, guys. Um, I'm a season ticket holder, and I just, I just don't... It, it just appears that there's no actual direction, and I don't even think... I would just like to know, and we're, they would never come out and say this, but what what is their plan? Like, what are they doing? And all the moves that they're making, they just they just don't make any sense. I, I, I just I really get the feeling that they're really grasping at straws, signing signing Good Branson, the way they're hand, you know bring Philip home. I know he played. Did he? Play, I'm not sure if he played last time. But I think he's playing the next game. I just as a season ticket holder, that just I have no confidence in what they're doing, and I'm I'm very confused by the direction that this team is taking. And I'm not even sure they know what direction they're taking. And that's very frustrating. Well, uh, I certainly appreciate your frustration. I, I know where it's coming from, Corey. And and certainly, I think you you have a right to feel that way about this team. I think it's kind of disconcerting that they've spent the salary cap in each of their four seasons with this regime. And you know what? In that time, they have the 26th best record in the NHL. So I think you're, you're definitely warranted in your criticism. I think the Erica Branson situation, like you said, it doesn't really speak to an organization that traditionally would fit the mold of a rebuilding team in terms of what their plan is, especially when you hear things like there was an offer of a second and a fourth on the table for the Canucks. And, and you just wonder, too, that was a week ago. 
That was a couple days ago. What happens when it gets down to the deadline and you're in the final minutes? You know that price is going to go up. Maybe it's a second and a third. Maybe it's a second and a B-level prospect. That's what you want to see from a rebuilding team. So when you look at that move, you think about opportunity cost. And the cost is it's blocking a roster spot for somebody who could perhaps come in in the summer and if not play better, be a veteran on a one-year deal that they can ship out for draft picks in much the same way we hope and I, I say we hope, because it could go the other way, that they're going to move out Thomas Vanek. And and you know what? I I wish there was something I could say to kind of rebuild your confidence there. I wish there was some kind of pep speech I had. You know, Travis Green's pep talks. <laughs> the way he, he has a talk with somebody in the morning and they score that night. It's it's. I wish I had that power. But I don't. Uh, the one thing I can tell you is the Canucks do have a really promising group of youngsters. I look at Bo Horvat. He just keeps shattering through the next level of expectations that you place on him. You think he's going to be a third-line center? No, he's a second-line center by his third year in the NHL. think he can't be a first. What is he this year? He's scoring at about a 60-point pace. That looks like a first-line player. you got Brock Besser. Uh, I, I think you need to see more from this team, and I wrote about this for the Athletic Vancouver today. They need to get creative at the deadline. I think it's up to them to prove to you that they have a plan. There's nothing I can do to to massage their moves into some way that it makes sense to you. I think the onus is on the club to prove to you that they have a plan and they're going to stick to it and they're going to rebuild this team. I really appreciate your call, though, Corey. What was your thoughts on that? I thought that was a really good, insightful call from somebody who has a real investment in this team, not just as a fan, but somebody who's a season ticket holder. I think he has a right to his anger. What were your thoughts? The frustration is is obvious, and I think that really what stood out to me and what has stood out to me over the last couple of weeks, whether it's the Erica Branson extension or Jim Benning's extension, and J.D., you wrote about this at the Athletic Vancouver, is that the message from the front office has not changed at all. And they are uh, sitting here talking about the merits of their prospect pool and putting a ton of expectations on this prospect pool now, I think higher than than have, uh, than have we've seen. Uh, it was as strong as I've heard them talk about it. But not accepting the fact that they're about to be for a third straight year one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League and the way that they talk uh, they don't seem to to even accept that I mean you look at the New York Rangers and the the tack that they've taken with their team and that's a team that's made a Stanley Cup final within the last five years that's been one of the consistent powers in the Eastern Conference and they've come out and said we need to rebuild we need to be a legitimate contender and when you hear uh, the refrain from the, the decision makers here in Vancouver it's over and over that they like the direction that they're headed, but the results aren't there. And if I'm a season ticket holder, I'm I'm definitely frustrated and upset because uh, the message is not there. And if there's no message, then then what kind of plan are they following? And if the plan that they're following is the one that's given them these results over the last three years, then of course there's reason to be uh, pessimistic and discouraged. Yeah, certainly. I I think one of the things that sticks out to me is that. Fans get a lot of the blame for being impatient. Fans aren't the ones who clamored for this team to be competitive this year. They didn't clamor for it last year. For four years, they've wanted to rebuild. For four years, the the team has made moves counter to that. Their language has been counter to that. What can you say? Well, it looks like we got another caller here. Dan from Abbotsford. Dan, how's your day going? Uh, it's going really good now that the snow's all melted. <laughs> no such <laughs> luck in Vancouver yet, but I certainly hope yeah. so by the time I get home. There's yeah. about two well, feet the of roads it. Are pretty, the roads are pretty nice, and it was really warm today, so uh, it'll melt pretty fast. It's supposed to rain anyway. So, hey, Where did you guys hear that um, they were offered a second and a fourth? Uh, did Branson... 
that's actually been a circulating rumor. I think Ian McIntyre first wrote about it in one of his pieces, and I think Jason Botchford has done a bit of digging and been able to confirm that. Certainly, he's tweeted about it, and he's not somebody who puts out you know, stuff without okay. any merit. No, no, that's fair. The reason I'm asking is I'm not like the biggest... Um like, I'm not like, oh, Benning's the best guy in the world and that, but I was okay with him signing. But at his press conference, he talked about how, you know, draft picks are like gold and nobody wants to give them up. So if you're offered that, why would you not take it? Like, it just, that just is totally counterintuitive to everything you said at your, at your press conference as to why you were probably going to sign to Brampton. No, I, I, you know what? Thanks a lot for your call, Dan. I really appreciate it. I, I agree. I mean, if you want picks and prospects, you go out and you sign your most valuable trade asset. And and everybody, even the people who are in favor of this contract, see it as an overpayment. And I hate the idea that cap space doesn't matter. It does matter. Look at what the Vegas Golden Knights just did. They turned $2 million of Derek Broussard's salary into a fourth-round pick and Ryan Reeves. You can make moves with money. So every little dollar matters, and the Canucks spend a lot of it on Eric Branson. So there's an opportunity cost element to this, and I think that that's what our caller was getting to. It's not just that they've signed Eric Branson. It's that they've turned down a second and a fourth in return. I wish I could say that that was the sage strategy, that it was the, the thing to do for a team in this place in their competitive arc. The only thing I can say to defend the move is if you've got Elias Pettersson in there at 170, perhaps Eric Branson starts to live up to his reputation as a pugilist and starts having his back, but uh, haven't seen it yet. Looks like we got another caller here, Craig from Abbotsford. Welcome to Nation Network Radio. Hi there. I think this, this whole, uh, it's like a sinking ship here. It never changes over the two, three or four years. I wouldn't have signed Benning, and I'm a good branch, and I, I don't mind him. Uh, you need some kind of a tough guy to stand up in front of the net. You look at the Canucks last night. And they're uh, they're an abysmal embarrassment, and they've been an embarrassment for three years. And I think the fans are sick of this boat without a rudder routine here. Uh, I I don't like these guys, the uh, Gagne and Hutton and Alzado and all these stuff. I think this whole thing doesn't turn over till the Sedins leave. I would not, as much as I admire the Sedins, it's time for them to leave. They look invisible in that game last night, and we've got to get draft choices and younger players in here, and I'd like to see the, the Canucks have a backbone for a change. I'd like to see them have some bigger, tougher players, not necessarily goons, but tougher, bigger physical team, and I think that's what the Canucks fans want. They, 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 we don't want to be run out of every arena because we're a pack of marshmallows. <laughs> I, you know what, Craig? I really appreciate your call. A lot of good points in there. Thanks for calling Nation Network Radio. I, I think there are some good points in there, and I, I love the energy. And and you know what, I, I don't, obviously, as a media member, I'm not going to kind of invoke that same spirit in my the tone of my writing, the tone of my, my radio broadcasts, but one of the things that sticks out to me is that I remember in the last year of the Mike Gillis regime, remember fans were chanting, fire Gillis, which to me, in retrospect, I mean, oh, I, what, do you, what do you think they would give to take that moment back, <laughs> but... I think that there is something to be said for fan accountability, and this is a fan who's rightly pointing out they've spent the money. They've spent the assets. They've put all these 
investments into making the team tougher, into having leadership, into having grit, into having the people that can stick up for their players, whether it's good Branson, Sutter, Dorset. Uh, they bring in Darren Archibald. That's a great story. Not going to complain about that move just yet. He's he's really been full value, and I'd love to see him finish the year with the Canucks and maybe even go into next year. But He's got a right to be anger, angry, and I think that found accountability is something that's valuable because that's what brings about change. I mean, you talk about the season ticket holder who called earlier. He's talking about his, his lament for the state of the team. That's where you make them listen, in the pocketbooks. we got another caller to Nation Network Radio. Sean, how are you doing today? Good. It's uh, Sean and I will hear... Um just wanted to quickly chime in on a few things you guys are talking about here. Uh, my background's in recruitment and I'm a business guy and MBA guy. And I'm just listening to some of the comments that are coming through. And, you know, including you guys, I, I, I can't say I agree with all of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's what makes this exciting, right? I think you guys overemphasize the numbers. Um, you know, going to school and being around a lot of people that are into numbers, they tend to think everything can be captured by numbers. And that's just not the case at all, especially when you're building teams. Uh, the Branson deal, one of the things that annoys me with that is in terms of reporting it, things don't get reported like Pierre Lebrun uh, had a contact that said for $4 million over three years, I would. that was another GM said I would have done that in a heartbeat. Why those things aren't reported, but it is constantly the underlying metrics. And it's clear, he's a Willie Mitchell type player. Um, people love, uh, people who play with him love him. There's a, and then there's a reason for that. And I think he's got uh, leadership potential as well. So the other thing I just want to quickly touch upon too is the Sedins. Great players. Obviously, everybody loves them. But I, unfortunately, I think that their speed, they process the game really well, but their speed and their physicality is just, it, it's probably time. And I, I'd like to see what you guys have to say about that. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, thanks for the call, Sean. Uh, I think that with the, the Gabranson situation, uh, yes, he is absolutely a guy that, that players love. Uh, he's a he's a culture carrier. He's someone that uh, is very well respected in the room. And I mean, what that brings up to me. So recently at a, at a press conference, Travis Green brought up the fact that Derek Dorsett and his loss this season is something that he feels has been underreported. So that speaks to, to a lot of the things that you're talking about with Gabranson and, and, and what we, I guess, as, as a media force are deciding to focus on. But my question to Travis Green in that sense was, well, okay, if we take into account what Derek Dorsett brings, and he, he hits all those boxes that Goodbranson does, he's good in the room, he's a physical player, uh, he's an energy guy. What is this team with Derek Dorsett? Are they a playoff team? If, if you have the exact same parameters set for what this team is right now and you put Derek Dorsett in the mix, are they a playoff team? Yes, they can believe that they are closer. I mean, are they better? Maybe marginally. And they believe that the fact that they started the season, the first two months they were a 500 team that, that and Dorsett had a, a nice start to the season, that they would be a, a team that could be competitive. But... Uh, you look at it realistically, and, and they're they're not a, a true contender, even with Derek Dorsett, as much as Travis Green and the organization may want to push that. And that's that's the same situation with Good Branson. This team is, is simply not good enough, and the results have, have spoken to that. And if there's this expectation now that uh, he's going to take a, a leap and make a jump and be a, a top four consistent defenseman over the next three years, then I don't understand. There's a disconnect there between what this team can really be. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that I like to point out too is I think it's a fair comment to say that 
you know, perhaps sometimes we overvalue numbers to an extent. But one of the things is, I mean, how far can you take that? Because to me, intuitively, it makes sense that I don't want somebody on the ice who's outshot. If every time he steps on the ice, I know that the shot ratio is going to be six to four for the other team. That's not that. That's disconcerting, and that speaks to just a, I. I wouldn't want to use this term because I think it implies a negative for anybody who doesn't see it this way. But to me, it's kind of a common sense thing. I mean, at the end of the day, hockey isn't just about stats, but the team that scores the most goals wins. So. Is there something that we're missing when we, we bring up Erica Branson's underlying metrics? I don't think so, because I, I usually try to take into account the fact that he is a very likable guy. Uh, everybody accuses us when we talk about Good Branson's underlying metrics, us being me, that, that we hate him. And, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Like I, I think he's an exceptionally good person. He's a very nice guy. He's very well-liked. He seems very intelligent, too. I, I just can't speak to those results and say that that's a tangibly positive addition to the Canucks lineup. When I looked last night, a defenseman in the NHL who'd played 500 or more minutes. There are only two defensemen who have a lower control of shot attempts at five on five than Eric at Branson. And it's not, so it's not just that the numbers are bad. He is in the bottom one percentile of defensemen in the NHL. And he's not going to bring a lot of offense. So what else am I going to judge him on? That's the thing. What else do I have to judge him on? I know he's a great leader. I know he's great in the room. But in terms of on-ice play, that's all I've got. But you know what? It looks like we got another caller. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing? What's your, uh, what's your name there? Uh, my name's Jamie. Jamie from Quitlam. Quitlam. <laughs> your name just yeah. showed up on the line there. How are you doing? Uh, I think that's a good Bradson thing. I kind of need him around for Tech Brock a little bit, maybe. But because we don't have Dorset anymore, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I see that argument. I, my, my counter to that would be, don't you think you can find somebody who brings that skill set for less than $4 million a year, though? Yeah, I, I think we maybe overpaid him a little bit. Because, uh, I mean, you got Darren Archibald, and he's done a really good job on a veteran minimum. He is, and, and like you guys have said, we have to figure out the Sadine thing too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one for me because I, I, I feel like the Sadines have given so much to the city that I'm usually kind of want, not want to kind of get into criticizing them too heavily. I, I agree that they're a bit slower at this stage, but... No, uh, I feel the same way. It's like they can play for this team as long as they want because they've done so much for this team and the city. What's the number that you'd limit them on in terms of salary then next season? What do you think? Uh, what do you put a cap on? They got a lot of cap space. So, so what what are the Sadines make right now? They're at about seven million. Sorry? Seven million dollars annually. Final year of their deal. Okay. So I kinda want to leave it up to them, but I would think like Four? Yeah, four isn't too unreasonable. I think you're probably getting closer to five. Maybe they meet in the middle between those two figures. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Jamie? Thanks so much for your call. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'll you. talk a little bit about the Sedines a bit more. Where do you see this heading, Israel? Because the Sedine situation has been really interesting. Not a lot of people have brought this up, but it was reported that they wanted to come back. And by some very reputable insiders, not people that just throw stuff out there. And now, as recently as last week, Benning said, the Sedines have told me we're going to talk about this in the summer. We're putting it aside for right now. We're talking about it in the summer. 
Where do you think this ends up? Because how much more losing can they tolerate? That's one of the questions I think of. And do they really want to be a part of this for another season? It's fascinating. And I think when we've looked at their season, uh, it's it's played out, uh, I think, better than most people would have expected, especially the way that it started. Uh, they've been consistent power play performers, uh, which is something that I think, when you looked at their, at their I guess we can call it a decline, uh, there yep. was the thought that regardless of their play overall, that they were still going to be able to contribute on the power play. And the power play was not a strength for this team for a couple of years. But then with pieces around, with Brock Besser, with Bo Horvat on that unit, they've, they've had had a lot of success. Um, I think it's 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 going to be really interesting because they they want to play, but they want to be on this team and and have a, a role where they're they're not just marginal players. And I, I remember them playing less than Alexander Burmistrov at the beginning of the year. What a storyline that was! Looks like we've got yet another caller. We can take one more before we go to the break before our next segment. Harvey from North Van, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you, thank you. Uh, big fan, Israel, of your writing. Uh, just wanted to ask you guys a question why you guys think that Canucks fans are just so obsessed with uh, with toughness. Like, does it still relate back to that 2011 Cup run? Uh, and I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Well, first I got to say, I mean, what a glowing review of Izzy's writing. And I got to say, just as somebody who, who has him as an editor, I, I got to agree. I mean, what a guy. What a guy that is he. It's, it's, well, it's uh, much appreciated. Yeah, very punctual, too. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, the punctuality is really what sticks out to me. But we're going to talk a little bit about the toughness thing. And I, I think Harvey brings up a really good point that... Mike Gillis even admitted to at the end of his tenure. Remember, he was doing an interview on TSN 1040, and he says, we have to get back to the way that we played. We have to get back to what made us a successful team. And it's funny, because looking back, we now know, courtesy of a few novels on the topic, that they wanted to rebuild. But if they weren't going to, they wanted to go in a direction where they started to emphasize uh, speed, skating, good hockey, skilled hockey. And the Canucks, once they hired, or fired them, rather, all of a sudden, they go right back into that old mentality of chasing the toughness that they felt they didn't have against the Boston Bruins. I think there's some validity to that comment. What do you think? I mean, he's a big fan of your writing. I'd, I'd, hate, for you to leave him, I'd hate for you to leave him hanging. I mean, I've written a, a fair bit about that, that toughness idea recently. And for me... You're the beat writer on toughness. The disconnect is that it's, it's, it's a value issue. Yeah, and there there is nothing wrong with building a tough team. You, you mean you look at recently the Los Angeles Kings were absolutely a tough, big, hard nosed team, and they were able to win Stanley Cups. But when you are overvaluing that skill set, that asset, you're gonna be behind the eight ball. I think it goes in in terms of, of valuing any attribute trait of a player and when you are so focused on adding toughness and I do think that uh, the team struggles against the Bruins in that cup final is something that at least for the fan base uh, brings back a lot of post-traumatic stress uh, it's it's difficult to, to navigate and I don't think that this team is not competitive because they're they're not tough I think that they need to get more depth and they need to get better players uh, and, and have a lineup that, that allows them to, to be tougher to play against 
Yeah, I, th- I think for me it's a question of priorities, and I look at this team, all their their shortcomings, and I don't know if toughness is one of them. But you know what? We're going to talk to the to Canucks Army writer Jeremy Davis on the other side of the break here. I know he's got a lot to say about this team. He's been writing a lot at CanucksArmy.com, whether it's the prospect profiles, Michael Delzato writing about the appeal to authority as it pertains to general manager Jim Benning and his contract extension. We're going to have him on the other side. You're listening to Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports. Bar and Grill. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located just minutes from Rogers Arena at the corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. And you know what? We're just going to get right into it here because we got a guest on the line. We've got Jeremy Davis from Canucks Army, who's running the Canucks Army midterm prospect profiles going splendidly. We've got a bunch of prospect profiles going up this weekend, including Cole Candela. And don't you have one on the way, Jeremy? I do, in fact. Uh, I'm uh, in charge of Brett McKenzie right now. So Brett McKenzie. That, uh, yeah. So um, he's uh, an interesting player um, playing with uh, Jonah Gadjevich and Owen Sound right now after a trade earlier in the year from North Bay. Kind of a weaker team to a stronger team type deal. Owen Sound uh, is a very powerful team in the OHL this year. Uh, but that does usually mean that uh, some of their trade acquisitions get pushed down the lineup a little bit. So Brett McKenzie's having, I wouldn't say, a particularly strong year. He's definitely taken a step backwards in terms of production from where he was a year ago uh, and a year and a half ago in particular. He had a really strong start to his, his uh, season last year right after the Canucks drafted them and uh, hasn't uh, quite carried along at that pace, but he's, he's still an interesting prospect. Well, we want to talk about the Canucks and, and drafting getting picks. That all falls in the hands of their chief art- architect, Jim Benning. And you wrote a really interesting article on the subject called About That Authority You're Appealing To. I don't think I could do it justice if I tried to describe it to our listeners. It's really a great article. You're you're spitting hot fire from beginning to end. (laughs) Why don't you describe the article and what your messaging was and how you came about writing that piece? Yeah, it was a bit of hot fire, wasn't it? And uh, maybe a bit controversial. I got some pushback from some areas. Reddit in particular was really mad at me. They they told me they didn't like my tone, and I made the mistake of getting in there and defending my position, but that, that's beside, beside the point. Yeah, don't um, don't worry about Reddit, man. Yeah. That's, that's, um, you're not doing a good job if they're not on you. No, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, um, the whole thing, it kind of stemmed from, you know, you listen to radio hits and of uh, other people, NHL insiders, reacting to certain... Um, things that are happening around the league and, and one of the things that, that I hear from maybe some insiders more than other ones and I, I won't name names although I did the article um, just saying that they get responses from other general managers saying oh well, I'd do that deal so therefore the deal is a good deal and I, I took a bit of umbrage with that and I wasn't really trying to insult anyone in this piece I was just trying to touch on an area that I think is maybe a bit of a bit uncomfortable for some people to think about and that is the education and, and athletes turned executives relative to trends and the other big uh, North American pro sports leagues, NBA, NFL, and especially the MLB, the NHL is kind of falling behind when it uh, comes to applying forward-thinking business strategies to sports management. And more and more, these other three leagues are moving away from employing former players as as general managers and toward employing college-educated outsiders in these positions, bringing in a more traditional managerial approach to running vitally important departments and businesses worth close to a billion dollars. And I wanted to emphasize that I'm not trying to shame Jim Benning for not having a college education, and I'm not trying to say that he should be out of a job outright. I think sports franchises are always going to need a player's 
or people like him who have good instincts on developing talent and who know what it's like to be in the position of the players and maybe act as a bit of a liaison or a conduit between the players, the coaching staff, and the rest of the front office. And the part that I question is, does that liaison really need to be at the very top of the pyramid? And, and it's certainly a valid question. So if Reddit wasn't mad at you earlier, maybe they will be now. Let's let's get your thoughts on the Jim Benning contract extension then, because you said you're not going to outright call call for anyone's job. That's not something we usually do on Canucks Army, actually. I take a fair amount of pride in that. But what was your thought on it? Would you have signed him to that contract extension, which is reported to be between the two- to three-year range? Uh, I would not have. Um, but, you know, I... You know, I, I made my feelings, I think, probably pretty clear on, on this uh, before it all happened via article or uh, other radio hits that I've done. But my my impression was it's really hard to read exactly what Jim Benning has done because he has so many people working underneath him and around him that it's difficult to tell what you should be giving him credit for, um, which, uh, which he's responsible for in terms of contract signings and trades, the ones that have worked, the ones that haven't worked. So it's not something that I would have done, but it's probably beside the point. And, and maybe... Um, one of the, the things that we all feared, or not, maybe fear is not the right word, but one of the things that, that we weren't uh, looking forward to was a Gabranson extension, which is uh, his first act is after his extension. Yeah, and, and you know what? Let's. I'm going to let you have the floor. Let's just hear your thoughts on the Gabranson Branson <laughs> extension. I mean, I'm going to let you have this segment. Three years, $12 million. What were your thoughts on that deal? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You said so much there without saying a word. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is what probably gets me most of all is opportunity cost, and, and I'll get to that. But the frustration over the the Gabranson uh, extension for me is only part and due to the signing it, itself. And for that, I get there are some extenuating circumstances regarding leadership and intangibles and so on. But first and foremost, you need to establish what he's worth on the ice. And if he's getting obliterated and shot differentials every night playing a third pairing role, then he's probably not worth very much. And maybe you place him in a, with a sturdy partner and give him some sheltered minutes and he does okay, hypothetically. And so what's that worth? Maybe a million dollars, a million and a half, if you're being generous. And you can get that from a player in free agency. Now, the Canucks already have Alex Biega, who skates faster, hits harder, and more often keeps his head nearly above water and shot differentials, and he does it for $750,000. So then you ask yourself, are Gabranson's intangibles worth $3.25 million? I would probably say no, but that's not for me to decide. And then there's the opportunity cost. So if the market was willing to trade a second or a third or a fourth, maybe a prospect for Gabranson, and it kind of looks like they would have based on the picks that have been flying around in the last week, then they've essentially traded the opportunity for that for a 26-year-old defensive defenseman who doesn't put up much offensive numbers and gets outshot routinely when he's on the ice, even when he's in a sheltered role. I don't really think that sounds like something a rebuilding team should be doing. So it's a little bit confusing to me. Like I understand why they do it, and it's mostly just because they see the game and see value differently than I do. But like for me, I'm looking at it, I don't see how they're going to get value out of this. The other thing is... If they were a team in contention, I think this is the kind of move that would cripple them. And it's almost kind of a bonus for them that they're not close to contention right now because they can deal with this for three years and it's not really going to prevent them from, you know, putting themselves over the top. But maybe they don't need to worry about putting themselves over the top for another three or four years. That's a good point. I mean, the the term isn't much of a killer, and, and certainly nobody expects the Canucks to turn the corner in that span. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about what the Canucks shouldn't do, 
And you wrote an interesting article the other day, and it's that Michael Delzato should be on the trade block. Let's talk about something you think they should do. Yeah, I, I don't know why I picked out him in particular, because to be honest, there's a ton of guys on the roster that should be on the trade block. But I, for some reason, I don't hear a lot, and maybe I'm not paying close enough attention to certain areas, but I don't hear much about Michael Delzato in terms of trade availability, and then... You know, confusing me a little bit. He's 27 years old. He's not, you know, going to be a core member of their future. I get that he's a, he's a huge fan in Travis Green, um, but he's a, he's on a fairly uh, palatable contract, three million for this year and next. And, and you, you hear nowadays that uh, some teams are a little bit more reticent about giving up um, draft picks or, or other assets for only two to four months out of a player, depending on how far they go in the playoffs. And sometimes they don't mind having that extra, maybe a second playoff run as well. And you saw that with the Hanson deal last year when the Canucks just robbed the Sharks blind, apparently, given what Hanson's uh, turned into this year, unfortunately. But Michael Delzato in particular, I think that he might have value with some general managers around the league, and they should at least be exploring the options if, if they're not doing that already. But I could say the same thing for the likes of Alex Biega or Nick Dowd or Andres Nilsson if he wasn't giving up almost five goals a night in the last couple of weeks. It makes it really hard to establish any sort of value. But if they're not doing everything they can to get something out of these players who are you know, anywhere past 24, really, then I don't really think they're doing their job at this point. I agree with you, uh, Jeremy, that that should be their their plan, and this is what they should be doing over the next couple of days, but uh, based on precedent and uh, what we've heard from them over the last couple of weeks, what are your actual expectations for what they do before uh, Monday's deadline? Uh, even if I'm going to be a bit of an optimist, my expectations would probably be that they trade Vanek for what they can, and then pretty much bow out, whether that's intentionally or, or unintentionally. I don't really see many other things happening unless they're going to surprise someone with either a Delzato trade or a Ben Nutton trade, which I would not be supportive of. Uh, I don't really uh, see what else they're going to be able to do here. No, that's a good point. They don't have a lot of bullets in the chamber, but you know what? We're out of time here, Jeremy, so as always, really appreciate you joining the show, uh, taking the time to, to talk about your articles, and certainly you've had a couple great ones on Canucks Army. Uh, what else can people expect from me in the coming days you got anything you want to plug uh just that we're going to keep moving on those uh midterm prospect rankings and, and hopefully they'll be going uh fast and furious probably going to take a, a short break uh on trade deadline day because hopefully there's going to be some other news and uh other than that uh, just whatever pops into my head i'll try to write and hopefully weren't won't uh, stir up too much trouble <laughs> well uh, so i wouldn't have it any other way really so <laughs> Always appreciate Good your work. Reviews, I guess, right? Exactly. That's what we're going for. That's what the uh, the name of the game is. But uh, you know what? We've got just one more segment here on Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club. J.D. Burke and Israel Fair, we're going to take your calls on the other side, 604-280-1040. Toll free at 844-876-1040. Email us live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 104040. You're listening to your voice for Vancouver Sports. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located just minutes from Rogers Arena at the corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. 
kind of getting low on time. I think I might have rambled on a bit in that last segment. But we got a couple texts that have just come in, and, and I'm going to forward those to you, Izzy, and we can kind of talk about them, some listener feedback here. We've got one here, and it says, Guys, I hear everyone say Vanek is 34. How can he help? Question mark. How can you guys on the radio say we need the Sedins for one or two more years? All due respect to them, we need to move on. We are how many years behind in the rebuild? Are we hope? Call it a career, and the Canucks can take 14 mil and get some more youth and speed. There's going to be pain for a while, but we have been going through pain, painful years already. That is from Doug in New West. Thanks for listening to the show, Doug. So, I think if I'm to make out what he's saying in his manifesto, Vanek stays because he's 34. The Sedins go. I don't hate that message. And I, I like, I get what he's saying that how can we say that the Sedins should come back? They both have fewer points than Vanek and, and not want Vanek back. But here's how I'm going to counter that. You can have both. You can trade Vanek. You can get him in free agency. The Leafs have done that with Roman Polak, who, I mean, they got a pair of second round picks and then they signed him the very next summer repeated that this summer what do you think about that Izzy? yeah i mean that that's just that's just asset management and yeah. that's it's it's playing the game and that's at this time of year and it's been done the leafs have done it a few times actually with uh, with players where they uh they understand their value at this time of year they're able to recoup some assets and they they really love the player and it it does seem like like thomas vanek has made an imprint on this team and within this organization uh that they'd like to to have him back but you have to play the game. You have to bring back those kind of assets. And as far as the Sedins are concerned, uh, it's, it, there's, a, there's a fair argument that uh, you can make. Uh, but I, I fall on, on your side, JD, that uh, I, I'm not going to be the one that's going to put a limit on when they can uh, or when they should call it a career because of what they've done for this franchise, what they continue to do. Uh, they're still useful, productive players at this point in their careers. And you know what? We're getting really low on time here. Like I said, final segment here of Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club. I'm going to read some uh, some friendly text here. We got one who says, you guys rock straight truth about the Canucks. I would like to think so, Izzy. I, I think we brought it it's today. Very nice. Yeah, very nice indeed. And we've got another one here, and I'm just going to read this one out. I don't have a lot of time to respond to it, but it's from somebody who connects with us on Twitter as well, so I figure he deserves the time of day. Vanek will get traded, but I have this funny feeling there will be a few other little moves like Hutton or Weirkoch or Biega or something like that. When Edmonton can get a third rounder for a waiver pickup, we've got to get in on that action. Josh, the Zamboni guy. I can get behind that. And with that, we're going to close out the show. Thanks so much for listening. As always, appreciated. You're listening to Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill, on your voice for Vancouver Sports. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com.